Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. Today, I speak with Francesca Woodner, founder and CEO of NEN, who is focusing on building prescription digital therapeutic at a cross-section of pediatrics, pain, with an initial focus in oncology, a tall order. But before we dive in, I've known Francesca for many years. With her science background, knowledge of clinical development, and business acumen, I've never seen her shy away from big and challenging endeavors. Nen is just yet another proof of that. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Francesca. Francesca, welcome to the DTX podcast. Been looking forward to having you on after you left the big farmer, just like myself, years earlier. But for our listeners, we'd love to hear a little bit about yourself, your background, and don't forget about one small interesting fact about yourself, ideally one that nobody else knows. So it's heard here first. Well, hi, everyone. And thanks for having me on, Eugene. It's definitely fun and strange to be on the other side. I'm trained as a scientist and uh, originally was hoping to develop HIV drugs, then went straight to private equity, as you do, and since then have been really involved in about 25 years of involvement in drug development across a variety of different aspects. So commercial development, clinical development, clinical trial management, a bit of strategy, BDNL. And then about eight years ago, I got the digital health bug. I started with Merck's Global Health Innovation Fund, where I led European investments for the fund, the focus on software-enabled clinical trial solutions. And then in my last role, I was chief digital officer of a global pharmaceutical company, where my remit was to manage the digital transformation of the company, everything from back office process automation through to creating a digital health accelerator where we were able to incubate about 10 companies and we ended up partnering commercially with a total of about 27. So lots of different aspects from operational digital health through investment. And now I'm on the light side where I'm the founder and CEO of NET. Thanks for that intro, but you forgot about a fun fact, Francesca. Geez, yeah, I guess I did. So I guess fun fact, especially with health coming up, I've managed to go nearly 50 years now without ever going to Vegas. And I guess that's going to end in the next few months. It's an amazing journey. And I know we have compared notes on the pharma journey. And I think both of us kind of at some point in time spearheaded some digital therapeutic efforts. And it's certainly a different feel and different let's call it game to be on the other side, on the entrepreneurial side. So with that said, as you left, what was the prompt or instigation to even start NEN? And I'm actually even curious about the name itself. Sure. So about June of last year, I was really keen to do something that had more of a direct impact to patients. And so I put my consulting hat back on and did a landscaping of really the whole of the digital health market to see First, where are the gaps? And then second, can those gaps be filled with a digital solution or service, but specifically with a digital therapeutic? Because I feel strongly that that's the fourth wave of medicine. You have small molecules, then biologics, then cell and gene therapy, and now digital therapeutics. And then the last piece of that Venn diagram was, do I care? Is this something that I can be really passionate about and get excited about? And what I was really surprised by was the dearth of opportunities in the pediatric space. 
the unmet need is certainly there, but there's just not a lot of research, both on a pharmaceutical level, but also in digital health. And having worked on a digital therapeutic for pain, I saw how readily CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, can be translated onto a digital platform with really good results. And I thought, well, why not use that as a starting point and start thinking through ways that we can leverage play and gamify play in a way that's engaging and fun for kids, but at the same time, we can deliver CBT for pain. Initially, I thought of a kind of all-comers for pain. Those studies from a clinical validation perspective, and that's really at the core of what we're doing, we're very much evidence-based. They're really hard to manage because you have kids with different etiologies, with IBD, with migraine, with aplastic anemia, with sickle cell, with congenital malformalities, among other things. And it's very hard to tease out the effect that a digital solution can have or any solution or any traditional therapeutic because the periodicity of their pain is very different. The way their pain presents is very different. What I found, though, in cancer is that there are, and my clinical colleagues will shun me for this, but there are essentially two flavors of pain. There's the pain from the cancer itself and procedural pain. But for both, it's really treated quite similarly. And for both, CBT could be an effective treatment. What's also interesting about oncology as a starting point, apart from the huge unmet need where about 100% of these kids are suffering from pain, many of them are inpatient. So for the clinical trial processes, we can leverage the healthcare teams to make sure that they're following protocols and that everything is going as planned. So that was sort of the genesis of NEN. We're looking to leverage play and deliver CBT via gamification for kids initially for oncology, but then we do intend to expand beyond that to pain in kids much more broadly. In terms of the name, the name was tricky because we wanted something that resonated across different cultures and languages, and that's really hard to do because we're very much mission-driven and want to deliver the solution worldwide to kids wherever they are. And so we wanted a name that was short, that was easy to pronounce, that didn't mean anything untoward in any language, and that kids could say. So we thought and thought, and then being in Barcelona where they speak Catalan, I realized that Nen means kids. And it's quite easy and simple to use. And after a lot of Google searches, it doesn't seem to mean anything negative. <laughs> in any other language, yep. <laughs> in any other language. In the MAGA world, it's a source of strength, which I quite like. And I found out recently that in some Chinese dialects, it means you can do it, which I really like. I like the uh, multitude of meanings that still weave together. So pretty amazing. Yeah, that was lucky. I know you spoke quite a bit about this now. Pediatrics is just tough space from many angles. Pain is also very difficult to measure. And then you go to market with the oncology pain pediatrics. And I know there's a lot of consulting hours or your own hours went into understanding that white space. But what was kind of the final trigger point a bit on that triangulation of the three? curious to see how you're looking to expand that outside of oncology. So twofold question. In part, the unmet need within oncology is massive in terms of pain. We've spoken to a lot of parents and for many of them, they've shared with us that apart from the initial diagnosis of cancer, managing the child's pain is the most difficult part of their journey. 
So there's an unmet need. There's a sense of helplessness because there aren't a lot of solutions out there. Within the clinic, they assume pain. So kids are treated with paracetamol. When it gets bad enough, they go to opioids. When it gets really bad, they unfortunately need to be sedated. But there's not much targeting the psychological aspects of pain. And this was new to me, but when speaking to our cognitive neuroscientists and our pain psychologists, these kids really suffer from pain trauma. And this cycle of pain and the catastrophization of pain leads to chronic pain in adulthood because the psychological aspects of pain aren't really treated. And if you look at scans in the brain, pain is processed in the same areas as emotions are processed. So pain is very much an emotion and the psychological implications are very, very real. There's a great anecdote that one of our clinicians shared with us. She said that there was a construction crew who noticed one of his colleagues had a nail through his boot. So as soon as the guy with the nail saw this, he was in excruciating pain. They called an ambulance, rushed him to the hospital. In the hospital, they sawed off his boot and found that the nail had missed his foot completely and it was in between his toes. So at that moment, that realization that he was okay, the pain immediately subsided. But that's not to say that the excruciating pain that he was feeling up to that point wasn't just as real as if that nail had gone through his foot. So the perception of pain is intrinsically linked to the psychology of pain. And that's exactly what we're looking to treat. In terms of why pain, it is thorny and pediatrics is thorny and oncology is thorny. I don't tend to shy away from the thorny projects, but I think this is an area where we can really have a big impact. And quite frankly, no one's really doing work in behavioral change of pain. There are a few therapies that exist that are trying to distract the child in the moment. So things like VR, where a child is getting a blood draw or getting a line put in some sort of finite procedure where you can distract the child, but that's not really causing a long-term change in the way they perceive, manage, and interpret their pain. I know you're still in early stages, and this is part of the reason you're on this podcast. We also want to highlight newcomers to the industry, even though you're not newcomer to the industry, but newcomer as a trailblazer driving new digital therapies. And while you're still early in the development, I would love for you to describe the experience that you're anticipating for those patients, and maybe you can even touch on the parents' experience through that process as well. And you also touched on the gamification part, key component of your strategy here. Yeah. So the involvement of parents and patients is super important to developing something that resonates with them in the future. So we've been doing that from the very beginning. We fully incorporated, and I've been working with Nan full-time now since February, but I would say about March, we started talking to different hospital centers to see how we can get that parent and child feedback from the very beginning. So we now have a research collaboration with San Juan de Deo, which is one of Spain's premier pediatric oncology centers. And the idea is that we will get that feedback along the way with the same group of parents over the course of a year. So we have two parent groups. We have a group from Spain whose children are being treated at that hospital. We also have an international group where some of them have been treated in the hospital and others who have children with cancer from other parts of the world. And the reason for that is culture is also a very big factor in terms of how pain is interpreted and managed. So we wanted to make sure that we had as global a view on the platform as possible. 
So we have five sessions with each of these two parent groups. They have about an hour of pre-work before each session and then two hours of the session itself and then about an hour of post-work after to ask questions and refine some of the issues that we've discussed. So we present to the parents and then they present to their kids because we found through the experts that that's the best model with the little kids. Once we start moving into the older age group, then we'll be interacting with them directly. But it's working really well so far. They've given us great input on our prototype, which will feed into our MVP, as well as our virtual companions that are going to be helping the children through this gamification journey. When talking to our clinical advisory board, They've shared with us that it's very difficult for children, particularly small children, to differentiate mood from pain. So the way we're tackling that is to have three virtual companions, one that targets pain, Dolores, which means pain in Spanish, and she'll be focused on providing CBT around pain and focused on the dopaminergic receptor pathways. And then we have Sarah and Tony, who are targeting mental health, the serotonergic receptor pathways. And Sarah will always ask the child questions about their anxiety, and Tony will always ask the questions around depression or sadness. And in this way, we can separate the impact of their mood from the actual pain and understand what the drivers of the anxiety and the depression might be. And it also will allow the children to develop a narrative to describe both their pain and their anxiety and sadness as well. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Francesca Woodka, founder and CEO of NEN. Every entrepreneur, especially in the digital therapeutic space, has a choice. And I always contrast somebody like Peter Hames with Big Health, one of the most studied digital health companies, did go the non-prescription route. And again, not versus, but in parallel, somebody like Corey, going for the similar insomnia and lack of sleep, but the PDT route. Your choice, to my understanding, is going the prescription route. Curious on why and what's the choice? Because to your point, you're a mission-driven company. You want to help as many kids as possible, starting in college in pain. But how do you look at your decision to go prescription versus non-prescription? I think for us, more than the decision to go PDT or non-PDT is the strength of clinical evidence that we're looking to generate. So we want to be able to have this as an option, as a prescribed reimbursed option for kids who need it in those geographies where that's possible. But we also will be offering a B2C product, which will be direct to parents. Eventually, there'll be two layers there'll be a kind of light version where we won't have all the medical claims and it won't be the PDT with all the bells and whistles. And then the other will be essentially the same version of the product that's able to be prescribed in certain geographies. And the reason for that is the trust that the parents and the physicians are putting in us is something that we take very, very seriously. So we want to make sure that everything we do is evidence-based and that the clinical justifications for using NEN are really sound. So in terms of the PDT, non-PDT, I think the evidence that we'll be able to generate will allow for a prescription route. And that's interesting from a business model perspective, but we also have de-risked that regulatory risk by offering the B2C as well. There's also a third revenue stream that we're anticipating, and that's B2B. 
so direct to hospitals where we're working on these research collaborations. We have a number of discussions ongoing. And what we're hoping is that we'll develop champions within these organizations where we can then translate their excitement about NEN into enterprise-wide deals where they can offer NEN as part of their concierge care. Before we get deeper into the business hypothesis, let's talk about, because to your point earlier, pediatrics is complex, oncology is complex, pain is complex, digital therapeutics, while on one side it's a SAMD, on the other side it's being equated to a molecule. Can you talk a little bit deeper into your evidence generation journey and how you're projecting this and RCTs? Let's dive into that part of the discussion. Sure. So what we're planning to do over the next year is to pilot the MVP and iterate on it with the collaboration of these parent groups, as well as with the kids directly, and with different academic medical centers across the world, or at least EU5 and the US. Those will give us a sense for how well we're translating the CBT onto the platform, which is really the only clinical risk. We know that CBT works, We know that it works for the 7 to 12 age range. We originally wanted to start with the really littles, the 2 to 6-year-olds, but the strength of evidence was just not as strong there for CBT. So we will do a smaller study where with the same provider, because there's enormous inter-provider variability, we'll have them deliver in-person CBT as well as NEN to make sure, again, that we've translated the CBT appropriately onto the platform. All of that work over the next year with the pilots and then the mini proof of concept, if you will, will inform our global multi-center randomized controlled clinical trial. We're looking to take the most rigorous regulatory requirements and apply that globally for all of the geographies so that we have one protocol, we can pull the data in a more meaningful way. And then hopefully we'll have enough patients per country to do the regulatory submissions country by country. We're also looking into the health economics impacts of what we're hoping NEN will bring. And those will be individualized country by country because the asks are different. The plan is to have a really robust study. We still have to test effectiveness to see how to power the study, but we're expecting about 100 patients per EU5 and about 500 for the US, so a 1,000 patient study, which is quite robust. And I think our outcomes we expect to be very strong based on what we're seeing initially with our clinical team. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the Chief Medical Officer and General Manager of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hi, Francesca. What learnings are you taking from other pediatric digital therapeutics products that are already on the market? Thanks, Chandana. That's a great question. There aren't a ton of pediatric products in the market, if I'm honest. We did a pretty extensive scan, actually in partnership with HealthXL, to see what else is out there. From a pain perspective, most of the solutions we saw were VR. I think they work very well in the moment to provide uh, distraction therapy, but again, they don't change the behavior and the management of pain over time. But I think one of the biggest learnings is that a single game solution doesn't work for every kid. And I think many thought that, well, if you make a game, any kid will play it and they'll be happy to play it and they'll be engaged. And that's simply not the case. 
the our workaround for that, because I'm not a gamer, I don't have a lot of experience in gaming, is we're looking to license games that already exist in the market. And very similar to how kids are used to ingesting information, either via YouTube or in games, is during the commercial breaks, we'll then interpolate the virtual companions and start delivering the CBT modules. And in order for them to level up or to continue playing, they'll have to complete the module. I think that's probably been the biggest learning that it's very difficult to create a de novo game. The likelihood that you'll be able to engage a variety of age ranges and genders and preferences and likes and dislikes is very, very low. And these gaming publishers, they've spent millions on learning about engagement and tracking data and modifying their product and their offerings. So why not leverage that versus reinventing the wheel and then delivering the best CBT that we can and really focusing there? Yeah, and I'm going to hop in here as usual. I know we had some guests here that it's also in the gaming and leverage some gaming techniques as well, something like Sidekick Health and Akili and on the journey. So I'm sure there's other trailblazers that you guys can continue learning with as things moving along. But you kind of alluded to a couple of things around the commercial model, but maybe just dive a little bit deeper into your the business hypothesis. You're sitting in EU from a market entry perspective. And to the extent that you can or want to, how are you looking at pricing and reimbursements? So threefold question on diving deeper into the business hypothesis, market entry, and pricing and reimbursements. Sure. So in terms of market entry, we're currently developing the platform in English and Spanish. The first launch countries will be US, UK, and Spain. But for the clinical trial, we'd like to extend it to EU5, as I mentioned. So we'll have the language translations ready for that launch as well. And they'll launch just after along with South America. One of the goals of NAN from the very beginning is that we developed it to be really mission-driven. And we want to be very clear about that mission with investors and with possible team members as they come on. So our plan really is to get NEN into the hands of kids all over the world. It's a scalable software solution. It's quite easy to democratize. So we're looking now to work with not only social impact investors, but also with NGOs and foundations to help us democratize NEN to the Southern Global once we've clinically validated in Europe and in the U.S., In terms of our business model, it's a mix of B2C, so direct to parents. Unfortunately, due to the nature of this condition, there is a willingness to pay for a solution that can have an impact on their child's lives and outcomes. The second is this B2B approach where we deliver enterprise-wide pain management to academic centers as part of their concierge care offerings. And then the third and the goal is to develop a prescribed digital therapeutic that's reimbursed. The fourth wave, if you will, is expanding into other geographies, either through one of those three channels or through partnerships with NGOs, and then as well, expanding into different age ranges. So we're focusing initially on the 7 to 12-year-olds, but we certainly don't want to forget about the littles and we'll be modifying the platform in more of a storytelling approach for the two to six-year-olds and then later for the adolescents. In terms of pricing, we don't yet know what the pricing will be because that depends in large part on the degree of effectiveness that we're getting from the results of the CBT. 
one way to benchmark it is to compare it to in-person CBT, but the access to care is very, very limited. So for many centers, even some of the largest centers, many of them only have one pain psychologist on hand. So there's no way they can address pain management to all of the patients within their hospital. For some hospitals, it's 300, 500 kids, and there's no way that that one person can go around and give 20 minutes of in-person CBT. What we're also going to be looking into is the quality of life improvements that these kids have, the way they're better able to manage procedures, manage changes, looking into resilience of these kids, and what impact that has on the progression of their disease as well. And as we talked about at the end of the day, from a prescription digital therapeutic perspective, it is all about the doctors and the clinicians kind of in the front line. So I usually ask the question, what advice would you give? And I think maybe here we'll stick with what advice would you give to those doctors and clinicians in the front lines? For us, the doctors are going to be the key stakeholders, whether they're prescribing the product or they're recommending the product to parents. It's really key for us to convince them that this is a viable therapeutic approach. That's in part why we are going the PDT route, because it empowers them to help their patients in a way that is a bit more tangible. But regardless of whether we're in a geography where they can prescribe or not, they're going to be a major gatekeeper as well as the healthcare team. In the U.S., it's a role called child life, where they look after the holistic wellness of the patient. In other countries, it could be a nurse, it could be the physician itself, part of the care team, an anesthesiologist or pain psychologist. So the medical community will be certainly responsible for the recommendation or the prescription of NEN as a solution. There was a recent article in, I think it was out of uh, John Hopkins, where they looked at over 5,000 mental health digital solutions, and they rated them in terms of their clinical efficacy on a scale of 0 to 20. And I don't remember the percentage exactly, but approximately 80% of the solutions fell below 2. So there's a lot of stuff out there for mental health that isn't as evidence-based, and that's caused a tremendous amount of skepticism within the medical community. So we're trying to thwart that skepticism by just providing really strong clinical evidence and rationale. Good. Well, we started with you, and let's end with you. What makes you get up in the morning? For me, it's the ability to potentially have an impact on these kids. We speak to a lot of parents. Their stories are overwhelming and awful. And the helplessness that they feel is something that I can resonate with as a parent. And so to be able to have a small impact in that journey for them and to help these kids manage their pain, talk about their pain, and learn the requisite skills so that even when they're outside of the gaming experience, they can better manage their pain and even communicate about it. For me, it's an honor and it's something that I'm taking very, very seriously in terms of the patient's trust. Well, Francesca, thank you for being here and our whole community, I'm sure, enjoyed this episode as far as you're triangulating some of the tougher fields into taking this to market. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. 
If you'd like to learn more about your coach help or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time. Thank you.